Welcome to The Big Deal, where we'll unlock the details and drama behind the business of sport in Australia and around the world. Join me, Warren Treadray, along with Andrew Montessi, Dion Heyman and our expert guests as we take you into the boardroom for behind-the-scenes access and analysis of contracts, negotiations, endorsements and more. Don't forget to sign up at www.thebigdeal.au for a weekly wrap of the latest deals, breaking news and many more exclusive opportunities. Welcome to another episode of The Big Deal. I'm Andrew Montessi, joined again by AFL legend Warren Treadray. Now, Treaders, today we're going deep into sports tech, talking about the future of sports apparel. Yeah, certainly, uh, Monty. We're talking to George Bonavacitas. He's the founder of Solos, a company that has been innovating in the wearable sports tech space for about 25 years. Over that time, Solos has been partnering with some of the world's biggest sporting brands, including the NBA, NFL, and Spain's La Liga, as well as the likes of the GWS Giants and the AFL, the Melbourne Phoenix, and the Melbourne Renegades, providing textile-embedded technologies. Yeah, it enables them to tackle some major brand protection problems through the authentic- authentication, uh, identification, and tracking capabilities, and also go after some big opportunities in fan experience. George, we're excited to have you here, mate. Welcome. Likewise. And thanks for your time, gents. Our pleasure. Now, can you maybe start by telling us a bit more about Solos and how you ended up innovating in the world of sports apparel? Sure. So the journey for me began back in 1996 um, when uh, a partner and I made a small investment in a little production facility in Hong Kong, and all we were doing was producing labels for the garment industry. Um, he had a business uh, where he was selling garments into the US and wanted a bit of a hand. And I thought, what a, what a sort of oddball thing to get involved in, but uh, made that investment and jumped in. And, and from there, it kind of evolved um, into, into different things in order for us to stay ahead of our competitors. And our first evolution was to um, add anti-counterfeit brand protection into those labels. So it wasn't just about putting that age-old clothing label with the brand name on it or, or the size um, label on, on the back of the collar, um, we came to realise that that was where brand owners around the world, garment manufacturers, were putting brand protection. They were building it in, in just in the same way you would um, find um, embedded technologies in currency banknotes and, and, and quite often just the sophisticated. So, so we thought, well, what a game to get into. And so it was in the late 90s we started doing that and um, and we got very, very good at it, um, so, so much so that it kind of allowed us to evolve the business into many, many different forms, which uh, which we'll be talking about today. And you mentioned all those different products that you offer, but at its core, how does the tech actually work? So at its core, we're using technologies that are what we call open source. So in the marketplace today, you've probably heard about RFID, which is radio frequency identification devices. Um, they're utilized in retail typically, or uh, your wholesalers use them for inventory management and control. You basically put a sticker on your product and it counts the stock. Um, another iteration of the open source technology is what we call NFC, which is near field communication. It's the very thing that you use when you tap and pay with your Visa PayWave card, or it's the same thing you use to get into a hotel room when they give you your plastic key. Um, that technology, those two open source technologies is what Solus has taken on board and harnessed to, I guess, 
integrate that into what we do as a company with the garment label and merge the two together. And we were the first to do it. It, was, it had never been done before. Um, you certainly could get an RFID sticker that you'd see on a hang tag uh, when you go to buy your clothes. And then quite often you've seen them, they're those big white labels and they look like they've got a, an antenna at the back of them. Um, that's a disposable item. What Solos built, what we pioneered, was actually coming up with a label that could be embedded into the garment permanently. And with that came a number of challenges, but uh, we can kind of get into that a little bit later. But effectively, that's what we did, and that's the text we used, Warren. And um, as a consequence, I guess, overall, what it means is this. You're now talking about your garment becoming um, a two-way communication piece, if you will, between um, um, the brand owner and the consumer. Um, little bit challenging to think through, but if you kind of um, followed the regime of, of the pathway we took, we, we, we sort of said, well, what if there was an opportunity for a consumer to be able to get simple information out of that, their garment when they purchased it? What I mean by that is we've seen when you go buy sports clothes how you've got these great big long labels of care instructions that no one ever reads, and they're really long because they're in 80 different languages, so they follow protocols and, and procedures and and uh, they're horrible things and people want to cut them off and, you know, they scratch you when you're going for a run in your gym shorts and all that kind of thing. So so that's where we started. We thought, you know what, wouldn't it be great if you could grab your phone and tap on your merchandise and get your care instructions, choose your language of choice and, and get that info. And that was the beginning of where we started to then see, well, there might be other opportunities to use this, most notably in sports and entertainment. And uh, could that be your ticket and your wallet to the game? Could it be your opportunity to be able to tap on at an event and get an upgrade to your seat or get your favourite player to come and say hello at the end of the game? Um, things like that would probably entice the consumer. I would certainly entice the consumer. I shouldn't say probably. They'll definitely be interested in wanting to acquire a, a bit of kit like that, which deals with the counterfeit issue. So you can kind of see how they, they came hand in hand and the evolution occurred. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, you, you've obviously touched on the the fan engagement opportunities, which I'm really keen to get to. But but first, I mean, you just mentioned it then the counterfeit issue. I mean, we've all been exposed to dodgy sports merch at some point. You know, you go on a holiday to Bali and and see the see the you know the sales on the street of all the uh, you know the Barcelona singlets and all of that sort of stuff. How big a problem is brand protection and counterfeiting, especially for those massive sports teams huge problem for them and it's only getting worse you know if that, that if there's some stats that fly around that talk about it being you know a close to two trillion dollar industry on an annualized basis i mean when you think about that number it's extraordinary and and when you when you sort of go into the weeds as to what it means to sporting organizations nobody's actually got a hard number to this when we evolved our uh, solo smart tag and wanted to um, apply that into the sports uh, sports world, the sports fraternities. Um, we went around the world and, and spoke to a number of different um, clubs, um, stadium owners, and uh, and, and organisations that were associated with, uh, with with sports merchandise. And we asked them the question, and everybody had the same answer. Nobody could actually tell us how big of a problem it was. You know, what kind of numbers, what was the money that, that was going out the door to counterfeiters that they were missing out on? 
No one could answer the question. I don't think anybody really knows. But the one thing that was really odd about it, Andrew, was everyone we spoke to said the same thing when we asked the question. We said, well, can you guesstimate? And they all said, we think it's about 50% of our attendees at a venue are wearing a counterfeit. And it was odd to me, and it was kind of kind of interesting that they all said they all answered me the same way. Whether it was uh, you know us going to the US or, or you know we went to um, um, the UK and, and 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 spoke to a number of football clubs there, and, and and it was the time when we were trying to think about how we wanted to launch our smart tech, and we were gathering information to uh, to make sure we got it right. And uh, and they all said the same thing as I mentioned. So so when you think about that as a number, we kind of tried to put some actual financial figures to it. And we said, okay, if there was a home game at Wembley and half of the fans were attending, we counted up the number of uh, uh, you know, fans that that would be, theoretically, and we came out with a financial figure of about two and a half million pounds per game that they were losing in revenue to counterfeiters. Now, that's just one team. Think about that on a global basis, and then that $1.8 to $2 trillion number I mentioned earlier starts to make sense. So then, so then comes the bigger question. You sort of say to them, well, what are you doing about it? And uh, that's the one that, that surprised me the most because it was almost like, you know, they were all sort of, yeah, yeah, they were all sort of passing the parcel. They would say, well, look, it's not really something I can deal with as a club because I've sold the rights to a licensee. And that's the licensee's problem. And then the licensee says, well, look, you know, we really do want to do something about it, but fundamentally, what can we do? You know, counterfeiters are counterfeiters. And, you know, I've been in this business since 96, as I mentioned, and it's, it's, it's not an easy problem to solve. You know, you, you, you're talking about a counterfeiter gets caught producing fake goods. His factory gets shut, shut down. He gets a slap on the wrist, and a month later, he opens up down the street. So how do you start? this process because it's already massive so then where's your starting point from tackling this issue you're obviously approaching clubs but then you've got technology going in the background and then obviously there's a licensing thing i assume that you've got to get involved with whoever's licensing the product where's the starting point yeah look great question because the answer to us is this you've got to empower the consumer your fan is the one that's going to help us solve this i don't think it ever becomes a complete solution but at least we start to put the brakes on it when we get our fans to think about wanting to buy that genuine piece of kit because it's no longer just about the shirt. And, and if I could just add an annexure to that, the problem here in this current marketplace is the counterfeiters are getting so good at what they do. You can't blame a fan for saying, I'll, I'll, I'll buy the $25 shirt over the $100 shirt because they look the same to me. It used to be in the days of old, you know, you boys would probably remember this. You're not quite my vintage, but, you know, you'd recall when you when you bought a counterfeit jersey, the colour was wrong, you put it in the wash and your mum would get mad because it would bleed and, you know, cause you, and, and your mates would be teasing you because you're a cheap bugger and you're turning up to the game and you got this faded, <laughs> you got this faded shirt. That's no longer the case. So how do you deal with the problem? Well, what if it, what if it, what if it were the case that, you not only were, were buying the genuine article, but with that genuine article came a relationship. And that relationship is what we believe fans want to exploit. They want their club 
to speak to them in different ways. They want their club to make them feel like they're special. It's no longer just about becoming a member. What if you're a member that could tap on to your merchandise on a regular basis and get all sorts of benefits that surprise and delight them, uh, you know, for every game they go to, even when they're sitting at home? You know, um, we, we ran an activation in Europe, uh, where, you know, if you tapped on a couple of times during the game at home, whilst, whilst, uh, we had the, the terrible problem of COVID, you, you, you got a free pizza delivered to your house. You know, fun stuff like that, that the only way you're going to get access to that is if you buy the genuine article. So that's what we're hoping is, is going to start to put a, put a dent in this problem. So you mentioned it starts with the, with the fan. What, what do you mean by that on a practical level? Is that, is that creating the demand at, at fan level initially where the fans start actually going, hey, like this is cool tech. Instead of just buying the standard Guernsey, I can buy a Guernsey with all of these other add-ons. And then they kind of create the, def- the demand that puts the pressure on the licensee and the clubs and all that sort of stuff. Is, is that what you mean? How do you, how do you make those initial moves to, to actually enter the market? Yeah, it's it's pretty much as you said, Andrew. That's that. Those are really the moves that you want to make, but it's got to be meaningful. You've got to empower the consumer to want to make that decision. You know, more often than not. And in order to do that, if you were to entice them with the opportunity to buy, um, and let's use the AFL as an example, right? So we come into the new season. And the current kit now has an opportunity for you to buy the smart wearable version that has a tag attached to it. And we usually put it in the bottom left-hand corner so it's nice and visible. And all you've got to do without any software is grab your phone and tap on. And when you do, you're going to have an opportunity to get access to exclusive content, relationships with your favorite player, seat upgrades when you go to the game, we will record and register how many times you've been to the game. So therefore, you might get uh, even bigger opportunities. And I mentioned earlier things like meeting your favourite player. Um, we've had fans line up in the tunnel as as, you know, as players are going out onto onto the pitch, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So so when you think about that, the consumer is going to want to go down that path of acquiring the uh, the smart wearable as opposed to the counterfeit on the street because they're not going to get any of those benefits nor are they going to have that two-way relationship. And we kind of build credit through that process. So the more you tap, the more benefits you get. And you kind of think of it like it's starting to evolve into a frequent flyer type program, if that, if that makes sense. Yeah, you talk about the big things that need to happen. Um, obviously, the engagement of the fans sounds like the biggest one. Um, how are clubs helping that situation? Well, it's hard for them, you know, because they want to help. They, they, they really are frustrated by the problem. You know, I used that analogy at Wembley and, you know, um, the people that, that, that run that organization are just sick of the scourge of counterfeits and they want us to help. They really do, but it becomes the financial issue. And, and, you know, one, when we, when we spoke to the AFL, um, you know, you mentioned we did a trial with the Giants uh, back in 2019, which was hugely successful. It was terrific. Um, got a lot of interest. But when it came down to it, the clubs themselves had to apply, you know, financial and human capital this thing 
to be able to roll out these programs with us, and that's where the challenges, uh, uh, you know, became too onerous for them. So, so what we then did was we went away as an organisation and said, well, let's no longer make this about putting a tag on merchandise, then having a bit of software, and then then integrating that software into their app, and you know that's how we send the benefits. We simplified it. So our current version of the technology is. You've got an off-the-shelf tag, which you can peel and stick. So that means you can put it on current merchandise that you've even got at your retail store or that you've got in a warehouse somewhere that isn't moving and put it out in the marketplace and say it's now a smart wearable and your fan doesn't need any app whatsoever. As soon as they tap on, they're going to then just need to register. And once they register, we can push them notifications with these benefits. So those are the kind of things that we're doing to make it easier for the sporting codes of the world to to you know to help them deal with the problem, knowing full well that you know that that uh, that financial capital is not there for them to do it typically. So just to expand on that uh, with some examples, you talked about the GWS example being successful. Can you maybe talk us through whether it's that one or, or a couple of others that you've got? How has it practically worked for these clubs, and and, and can you maybe share some specifics around that? Yeah, certainly. So, so in a practical sense, um, the Giants was a great success. We 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 piloted the technology with um, uh, one hundred of their um, highest tier members, and it was on the basis that we did it as a free program, but we wanted to get their feedback. And 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 fundamentally, everybody said that they thought it was a wonderful idea, given the fact that when they turned up to um, the stadium, um, the current giant stadium, I think at the time is the old spotless stadium out, out there at Homebush. Um, they could walk through a VIP turnstile that, um, that Solos had built and, and, you know, they didn't need their ticket or their wallet. Um, as long as they were wearing the Guernsey, they turned up and when they got to the turnstile, the gates opened and in they went. The minute they pass through the turnstile, they've got a push notification saying, thanks for turning up to the game. Stop by the bar and either grab yourself a beer if you're an adult or, or, a, uh, or a cold soft drink if, uh, if, if you're younger than 18. And, and, and they did that. And then, uh, as I mentioned earlier, they got to line up in the tunnel and um, a couple of people got upgraded seats. Some people got to meet their favorite players. Incredible experience overall. Uh, lots and lots of fun. And... Um, we got a lot of media um, surrounding that uh, initial launch, and that was the first launch that we did of the tech. So much so that it, it took us around the world. Um, first port of call was we went to uh, to Europe and started working with La Liga. And uh, you know, you mentioned earlier, Andrew, if you want to talk about counterfeits, goodness, uh, go to a sporting um, game in in Spain, and you'll see trestle tables lined up for blocks around the stadium with them selling, you know, everything from scarves to hats to, to um, jerseys to shorts, to you name it. So huge problem for them. Um, and, and we decided that we were going to work with one of their teams up in the north um, in Basque country called Real Sociedad. Um, good team. They, they at the time were, uh, were building a new stadium and really wanted to be tech forward. So we thought, well, that's, that's a really... Yeah, the kind of organization we wanted to work with. La Liga gave us the opportunity to work with whoever we liked. And obviously most people would go run and jump to, to go work with a, 
Real Madrid or FC Barcelona, we thought, well, no, we, we wanted to kind of hone our craft and work with a club that was forward thinking on tech, but also was, was, was growing. And, and by, by telling that story, if we could make it a success with them, well, then the bigger organizations would only want to, want to work with us. And, and with that, we, um, we ran a, a pilot program on a, on a much bigger scale that involved um, current members and fans who had already bought their jersey turning up to the game and having their tag applied at the stadium, as well as us putting this uh, this new smart tag technology onto the merchandise um, that was um, to be sold, you know, in the future through their retail stores. And uh, from there, it, it, it evolved and we started then pushing into the US market, which we're doing now, and we're working with a number of codes out there. Um, most notably, um, with the colleges in, in football last weekend, we just did an activation with, uh, Florida State University, um, for their spring game and similar types of, um, um, outcomes where the fans are, are, are acquiring the merchandise. And in that instance, they turned up to the game. And if you tapped at the game, one of them won the quarterback's helmet at the end of the game that he signed and got to hang out with them for the afternoon. So, you know. Americans huge fanatics like we are here in Australia and you know something like that for them was like I've got to have that shirt so so that's what we've been doing and and and, and from here um we want to sort of start moving into a top down approach so so we'd like some of the brands you know that's really our ultimate goal to work with the mainstream brands and get them involved you know because that's really the holy grail for us you know the Nike's the Adidas's and so forth. You mentioned those brands and you mentioned that smartware. Obviously, there's an element of data that comes from this and insight into that sports organizations can tap into about their fans. What have you found out about that that probably wasn't an original value you saw as part of this product? Yeah, great question because it, it, was, it was one that we didn't know what we were going to get. And what was interesting about it was that we were finding that fans were wanting to tap and connect to see what they got during the week wearing their jersey just hanging out at a cafe in Melbourne. So we thought, well, hang on. If that's the case, then why don't we try and expand this into an opportunity for um, people that ordinarily wouldn't be sponsors of a club to kind of get involved? So if you take the Giants as an example, they were saying, well, you know, if we're going to be pushing fans to a bar or to a cafe that's adjacent to the stadium, then... Why don't we do that, record how many people attended, and then go back to them and see if we can end up in a sponsor-type relationship, which is ordinarily something we would never do. And with that, there could be a potential revenue stream. So it got really interesting in that sense. Yeah, it's fascinating. I think uh, you you touched on it, and what it ties into is the the stadium in-game experiences, obviously in, in and around the whole experience of going to the footy, going to sport and and seeing your team play and not just seeing them play but but everything that comes with that on game day. My observation is Australia doesn't really seem to do the whole in-game fan experience as well as it could. Like particularly when you compare it to overseas. Um it feels like we're not quite there. I mean is that how you see it from a a fan experience perspective? Absolutely. Yeah, and it's unfortunate because, you know, we, we're all three of us here on this call and, and, you know, the fans, 
listening today, we're, we're all we're all diehard about our sports and 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 we love our code. We want to be engaged. We want to be involved. But it's almost like it's becoming more comfortable to be an armchair sports fan, you know, than it is to trudge out to the stadium and you know enjoy the event as best as you can. We're seeing good numbers at stadiums, but if you actually look at what the stats are telling us, year on year we're getting less and less people, you know, going to the venues because they've got options. And what we need to do is be pushing them back to the venues, but more importantly, wearing their colours. And I think that's a big part of this. It's got to be about, you know, I, I know in in the NRL, for example, you know, and uh, excuse the listeners that will disagree with me as a manly supporter, <laughs> but, um, you know, you, you'd go out to Brookvale when I was young, and in the 80s, and everybody was wearing a jersey. Now you go out there and it's a different story. A lot of people are in casual clothes and it's kind of become a little bit less of a uh, of a value piece for them to kind of turn up in the colours. And I think that's a bit of a shame. You know, you'd like to see them first and foremost do that. But then secondly, you know, and, and it sort of aligns with the question that they, they need to kind of feel special. They need to have a great experience that wants that, that makes them want to go back again and again. And that was why we thought there's a really powerful opportunity here where um, we might not just be able to deal with counterfeits, but also have a chance at giving the fans that feeling of being special, that VIP access, you know, when they get to the stadium, that VIP experience when they're in the stadium. And hopefully if that builds more revenue for the clubs and the codes through what we're doing, they can utilise some of that money to put on a bit more of a show. Who are you seeing as the better innovators in this space right now because as we said we've just come out of a pandemic where it effectively trained footy fans to to support from home so who, who are the innovators do you think from all the different codes you've worked with who are the ones that are really embracing this more than others yeah well certainly you know the u.s biggest market in the world they're doing a lot over there as is europe um you know and and we could learn a lot from them because one of the things that i think you know, it's almost frustrating to watch. We've got amazing sports in this country and they could be doing so much better financially, but we just seem to be seeing the same things again and again. You know, it, there's nothing really seems to change. And, and, and it's almost like, you know, if you're filling out a stadium for the AFL, what else can you do that adds value for both the consumer and, you know, the organisation? I think there's a lot of things that can be done. And you've only got to look at what's going on in the US and in Europe to answer those kind of questions. It's, it's, it's got to do with the fan, um, having an experience which pretty much lasts the whole day as opposed to what we're doing here in Australia, which is you turn up to the footy at three o'clock and you're home by five. You know, it used to be again, and I keep referring to when we were younger, you went to the footy and, and you watched, uh, you know, the under-21s and reserve grade and, and you know, you, you've got a day at the footy, whereas now we're just going to the first grade match and going home and that's the end of it. There's so much more that can be applied here and I think that's what we've got to start thinking about and, 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 and why not look at what others are doing knowing that it's successful and and emulating it. There's no reason not to. Yeah, you, you're spot on. I was at a Sacramento Kings game fairly recently and I actually – I said to my, my dad who was with me, I was like, everyone is wearing the gear here. 
everyone is wearing purple, everyone's in the official kit. Then there was the full-on integration with the app. So everyone gets the app because it's fully fully incentivized. You know, different people do different things and then rewards come in from the sponsors and the whole thing is this nonstop activation. And I think about Australian sport where you go to a game and there's just so much downtime. Like, as you're saying, you've got a captured audience sitting there, even if they're not watching the game, they're sitting there with their devices ready to go and we're just not tapping into that opportunity. Exactly right. Yeah. That's absolutely the case. And and there's, there's so much more that's available to us that, uh, you know, comes down to a win-win because it's not just about the fan getting more, but it's also about the code and the organisation actually making more money, which means they can reinvest in more of these types of things and, and, and it just becomes, you know, a positive spin for everyone. Now, we all love the sporting industry, obviously, when we're trying to keep working in the sporting industry um, and, and many people, thousands of people around Australia, but it can be also pretty hard to crack. And obviously you've confronted this head on with your business partnership. Now, what's been your partnership strategy um, in, in terms of trying to crack you know, the biggest codes in the world in the business? You've got to listen to their needs. And, and, and Warren, as you say, it's very challenging. You know, they... They're trying to stay ahead of the curve and, and, you know, they want to do more things, as I mentioned earlier, but, uh, you know, their finances are limited. So, you know, they're, they're not typically not amenable to, to, to spending beyond, you know, the things that they have to spend on. So, so, so what we've been doing is, is saying to them, well, how can we help? How can we do this that, you know, adds value? And, and, you know, as I mentioned earlier, if you take what, uh, what the uh, La Liga Club Real Sociedad did in Spain was they said, well, hang on, if we actually created a landing page that when people tapped on the tag, they could get told what cafes, bars, restaurants and clubs are associated with us. And then if fans turned up, what about if we, if we use the Groupon model and, you know, if, if, if Warren turned up by himself, but he got 10% off at the, at the pub adjacent to the stadium, but if he called four of his mates, most likely on the tail. Okay. <laughs> well, if he if he had if he had four mates to call, if I got five, no one wants us to visit. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, then the then the five of you together would get twenty percent off, and you know if there was ten of you that turned up, then somebody got a free meal, you know, and and it's stuff like that that I think is really it's about the future, you know, like. Young people are harnessing the, the the future faster than we would ever imagine. It's 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 all about sports and entertainment. It's all about them being able to, um, you know, get what they want to get instantly, and we've got to give it to them. And and the clubs want to do that. They really do. And and this is this is why these digital type technologies are a little bit left of field. It takes people a little bit of a, of of a moment to understand what it is that we do, but once they get it. And they realised that, you know, we're not um, invading their privacy because that was one that people got kind of got worried about. They said, oh, if you've got a tag on the merchandise and I take it home, you're tracking me. And I said, absolutely not. It's a passive device. The only time that happens is if you allow it to happen by tapping on with your phone and saying yes. And, you know, I'm not going to force you to say yes. You've only got to say yes if you want to meet your favourite player, get a set upgrade and all those kind of fun things. So, so people tend to say yes. 
Um, so I guess it's about just diversifying the thinking and um, you know, making sure that we, we make it as seamless as possible. And that's what we've built as an organisation, an off-the-shelf tag that amplifies the merchandise into it becoming all sorts of things that can get, that can gather revenue for uh, for sporting organisations, and all they've got to do is just give it a go to see what kind of returns they can get from it. And what we're seeing is is is, and I think this is really the test for us as a company, is when they come back and order a second and a third time. And that's when you start to know that this is a technology that makes sense and will stand up to the test of time. I think in the fullness of time, we're going to see our merchandise become digitized, not only in sports and entertainment, but for everything we purchase. Eventually, you'll be buying your clothes, and as you go to put them in the washing machine, it'll say, what are you doing? You're putting darks with lights, and it'll come up on the screen because there's a inbuilt tag that's telling you that. Um, you'll be able to uh, walk to your front door and, not only you know punching your pin, but it'll become a second factor authentication that it's you because of the clothes you wear. Sky's the limit, and um, I think I think in the in in my world in in the clothing side of that Internet of Things, it's kind of gotten left behind a little bit, but it's catching up very very quickly. So how far off do you think it is from going mainstream, George? How early are you, or are you right on time? Where are you at? Still a bit early. Um, and I think that's got to do with the fact that, you know, again, it comes back to the financial cost of, you know, applying this type of te- te- technology, um, to mainstream merchandise on mass. That's really the challenge. Will people pay more for it? And once we get over that hurdle of establishing, you know, with the brand owners of the world that you've got to stop thinking of it that way. You've got to start thinking about what value it can add. And we're getting there. They're starting to understand what we're talking about. I think that point of inflection will occur, but I think that's that's some years years ahead of us. Um, we went into sports and entertainment because we knew that that was an area where counterfeiting was a very very big problem, and we knew that in sports and entertainment, engaging with consumers that would get all these benefits, they would jump to and, and want to you know participate in. But we'd love to see this go mainstream as well. And I think there's all sorts of applications for digitizing our merchandise. You know, things like schools, uh, kids being recorded as they come in and out of school just for wearing their clothes. My daughter, who keeps forgetting her blazer at school, I'd be able to track it, you know, and know where she left it and not have to go buy another one. Um, it's either that or a mother kills her or a combination of the two. <laughs> Things like that, hospitals, uh, police forces, governments are no longer having to wear their lanyards to work. They can walk, just walk in because they're wearing the official kit. Now, you know, that, those are the kind of things that we think about. But we want to stay in our lane right now, stick to sport. And, you know, a few years down the track, as we start going into Web3 and the metaverse and the Internet of Things and and uh, the digital world comes to the fore, I think you're going to be seeing a lot more of these types of technologies. So right now, what's the focus? You pretty much is expanding or is it you just, you know, it sounds like you're letting it evolve um, and, and take and take place in, in the market. Yeah, absolutely. And, and we're really going into, as I mentioned earlier, the biggest market in the world now. US is our focus. Um, it's just by virtue of volume, you know, there's, there's, 
the amount of merchandise that's consumed on an annualized basis in the United States, not only in mainstream codes, NFL, NBA, NHL, etc. Um, you look at what's going on with, with college merch, it's extraordinary. Um, the kids are not only buying their favorite footballer's shirt, but, you know, they're buying the casual wear, the trackies, the tees, all that kind of stuff. We want to participate in that deal flow, and, and that's that's where our focus is uh, at the moment. Well, George, it's really exciting. Uh, really appreciate your time and and sharing your insights into uh, to an area that that I don't think is is talked about enough. But you've touched on um, something that's a massive problem, but also a massive opportunity. So we really appreciate your time, mate. Likewise. Thanks so much, Jen. Good to chat. Thank you for tuning in and remember to subscribe to The Big Deal on your favorite podcast player right now. And don't forget to join our community at www.thebigdeal.au. Before you go, don't forget to join our community by subscribing for free at www.thebigdeal.au and get a weekly email bringing together the hottest sports deals, breaking sports biz news as it happens and much more. Join me at www.thebigdeal.au.